You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. Are you done? (laughs) It's great to be together. It's great to sing together. Amen. We're in Colossians. You can turn to Colossians chapter 1. We left last week at verse 23 of chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24 today. And Paul says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which he works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Lord's word for us today, may we take to heart what it has to share in our hearts and may we uh, leave this place encouraged today from the challenge that Paul gives us I ask myself often, and I still do today in this reading, how does Paul do this? How does Paul write this time and again when he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you? Last Wednesday night, uh, we had our meal, and uh, I finished up. I walked up to the... uh, to the sink, and I don't know why, I think I was washing my hands or something, but uh, there were three girls, uh, three of you girls were standing over to the left a little bit, and I, I stepped up to the sink, and I, for some reason, 
as a clod can do. I, for some reason, stuck my knee into the, the hand, the hand uh, opener of the, of the cupboard door, and I whapped it really hard. So you have a funny bone on your elbow. Where you, I feel like you must have a funny bone. I, I went crazy doing that, and I put my head down, and I, I didn't say anything, but I, you know, I did the, ah, and uh, I might have said something, but it wasn't anything bad. And I looked at the three girls <laughs> and realized my testimony's at stake here for the cause of Christ. <laughs> and so I just gritted my teeth and said, it'll go away soon. And uh, the girls were laughing, of course, and so uh, I tried to have joy in the moment. <clears throat> and it took about 30, 40 seconds to walk away and shake it off and go, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm alive. Sometimes we all experience things like that. And, uh, you know, at times we get caught off guard. So I'm not going to be naive today and try to address to you the fact that we don't sometimes have moments in our life where it's really tough to be joyful. And I want to say it's okay sometimes in little moments of life when we just sort of forget what joy is all about and we're thinking about the issue or the pain or the, or the, or the circumstance and, and we may have to dwell for a moment before we can sort of go back to what joy is for our lives. Paul's a, an amazing person that he can say this. Uh, and so he, uh, he wants us to know that this is important. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. Now, let me just first say this. Paul is not saying that Christ's sufferings were insufficient. There are some who translate that improperly, and that's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is that he is longing to be used uh, as a vessel that represents the Lord in suffering for others. Until the Lord returns, there's always going to be persecution. There's always going to be suffering for many who preach and live out the gospel of Jesus. That's, that's a fact. Uh, we're told that in the scripture. Paul's persecutions and his sufferings accompanied his bringing the gospel to the continent of Asia. And so the church, as a result, uh, has been uh, founded by Paul's traveling, Paul's influence. And yet uh, he did this in a, a struggle, many struggles that he had often as he traveled and laid out churches. As you know, he did not go to the city of Colossae, but they're only saved. And, and he's writing this letter to those who had recently given their lives to Christ as a follow-up to that. And, and the fact that they exist as a church is really because Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel of Christ in Ephesus and in other places in Asia. And the influence of his testimony has now reached this city called Colossae. And again, I, I, I come back and say, how could, Paul, how could Paul say this, that he's willing to suffer for Christ and the gospel as he has made the claim here? Uh, we all know, don't, don't need to turn, I just want to make reference to it, but in Philippians 4, verse 4, I probably said it last week, but I'll say it again. When Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always, and even that has always been a conviction for me. Is that a conviction for you? How many times have you not rejoiced in the Lord? Uh, and so we all understand that that's something we struggle with. But then he, he wants to emphasize how important this is. So he says, again, I will say rejoice. And Paul had uh, 
been able to say this while he was chained up in a Roman prison. It's not exactly like Paul was uh, having a great day in his air-conditioned hotel room where he could punch out some lines to send a letter to somebody. And yet, as Paul says this, it tells me that he had a framework through which he processed all his life. And that framework, I believe, is this, the joy of his salvation. And if you have an understanding of your salvation and what the cost was, what the incredible uh, length that God has gone to lead you to salvation, then that's the recipe for, uh, you know, getting through life, being able to say rejoice always. If you have that as sort of the frame by which everything, the grid through which everything goes when you say, I'm, I'm living my life through this joy that has brought salvation into my lost life. Uh, another interesting verse you may want to turn, or you can certainly write it down, is 2 Corinthians 12.10. And I bring this up because if Paul's talking about joy, then listen to how uh, he explains uh, his dealing in the Christian life and how he's living with this statement. I take pleasure, he writes, I take pleasure in infirmities. I, I, I almost want to stop there and just have you dwell on that for a moment. I take pleasure in infirmities. Maybe somebody here today is sick. Maybe you're dealing with an ongoing illness. Maybe there's a, a physical thing that you're just dealing with. and Maybe it's an emotional thing you're dealing with. Something that just doesn't go away and it haunts you and it, it grips you. Paul saying, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, that is his own needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Let me give you one more, Romans 5.3. Because in that text, he says, he glories in tribulations. I, Paul, you're an amazing person when you can say things like that. Let me read that context of that statement. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have uh, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There it is. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces something. And he says, perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And listen how he ends that. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul, you're, again, an amazing uh, example of what it means to understand what has happened to him internally and how that's fleshing itself out in his life. He's speaking, of course, only of those things that are related to his faith and his witness, and this is important. Uh, you know, you and I do not glory uh, in Christ because we're behind in our bills. We do not glory in Christ because our credit card is really high, higher than we can pay off. And so, you know, we'll do uh, some other thing to get out of 
get out of debt the wrong way. And, and somehow I've heard some saints who do that and then give all the praise and glory to God. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But we do what we do as a result of giving him glory for who he is, what he's done in our lives. And that's why we glory in Christ. So why this uh, rejoicing in suffering? Why, uh, do we, do we, uh, why, why is this the case? I mean, how can we understand this? And uh, I, I want to offer three quick reasons. Two are in the text. One is under the text, but it's throughout all of Paul's writing. The first one is this, simply for the testimony of Christ. He's already told us that in other passages. So we rejoice in suffering because of the testimony of Christ Jesus. I want uh, to make sure that he is magnified when I am going through troubles, because if he's only magnified when things are good, uh, how does anyone really see the, the person of Christ in our lives? But when we're going through trouble and suffering and heartache and difficulty and all kinds of things like that, in a way that joy can still manifest itself in our lives. That is a testimony for Christ. Right? The second one, the second reason is given in the text. Going back to uh, our first, uh, verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. And look what he says. I do this for you. There's the second reason. He's talking about... uh, I, I, I'm committed to glory and suffering. I'm committed to rejoice in my sufferings for you. Because Paul knows that as he does this, and it's a demonstration of his faithfulness and Christ's faithfulness to him, even in the difficult times. And this so overrules what we hear today from the name acclaimant crowd. You understand that there's this positive message that wants to come out from many who are trying to say that if you believe in Christ and have faith in Christ and you're faithful to him and all these various reasons, then it will, it will reveal itself to you in blessing and good health and your uh, needs will be met and your resources will, uh, will, will be multiplied and on and on it goes. And Paul's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And that's him reminding us that it's this witness for Christ who carries Paul through his sufferings. And the glory goes back to Christ for doing that in Paul's life as he goes through tough difficulties. He goes on and says, and Philip in my flesh, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul's also saying not only for you, Colossae saints, but for all saints coming uh, that I have never seen and will never meet, they'll never see my face. And yet I do this for you as well, the church as a whole. So really, in essence, Paul wrote this letter as a personal letter to any saint who reads it to see uh, this great testimony from this great soldier of Christ. Even more to the core, though, of why Paul could talk about suffering I think it goes back to what we looked at last week as he wrote about the supremacy of Christ back up in verse 15, 16, 17. Let me just go back and read this and remind us what Paul wrote. He says he's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, that is the church. So, you know, what I want to say about this is that Paul was enamored with the person of Jesus Christ. When he contemplated his own salvation, which I'm sure he did often, uh, this is one of the prime sources of his joy in Christ. Because as, as he thinks about this, the creator of the universe bows himself to be savior and offer reconciliation to sinners through the giving of his body to die in our place. And then it says in verse 22, which is an amazing statement here, in the body of his flesh, he reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death, watch this, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I can tell you that when Paul wrote this, he's thinking about himself and he's thinking how how I was so lost and so much an enemy of the gospel of Christ and how Jesus in his grace offers me this amazing uh, gift of him dying in my place for sin and offering me as a result of that holiness to me, a sinner, uh, blamelessness and, and, and being above reproach in his sight. I can stand before God and God doesn't see me as a condemned sinner, but God sees me as a, uh, a new creature in Christ, saved by his grace, by his work, which is amazing. And that has stirred the heart of Paul so much so. You talk about undeserving. You talk about a reason for uh, us rejoicing in suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. He, folks, is worthy, is he not, of our lives for that. That's why Paul could write, if you'll just turn back a page, Paul could write in Philippians 3, that statement that we often go back and quote in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Philippians, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the uh, intimate harmony, if you will, the, the fellowship, the, the sweetness of a relationship that I that the, I might have the experience, the fellowship of his sufferings. I, I sometimes picture that as Paul saying that if I could, I wish I could be right next to him as he died for me on the cross. I wish I could experience the intimacy of his breathing his last breath on my behalf. That's kind of what Paul's saying. I, I want to be a part of, of understanding how he could have fellowship with me and then through his sufferings and then being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He makes it clear that this is so much on his heart and on his mind that he would offer this desire to and this ability to maybe even perhaps somewhat understand what it means to suffer uh, and yet have joy at the same time. Christ, you understand, had the greatest joy of going to the cross on behalf of you. 
just, just pause and contemplate on that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had a joyful approach to the worst human event in history because he did it for you. John and Betty Stam, these were missionaries to China. And uh, they were brand new missionaries. They had arrived at this village. They weren't there very long. This was in 1934 when uh, there was a communist uprising and the Chinese communist mob came to their little village and took them uh, as captives along with their three-month-old baby, Helen Priscilla. And they were led out of this village, stripped of their outer clothing and tied up and led uh, to another village 12 miles away where they were thrown in a little tiny hut off to the side. And in that hut was a kind of a rough little tiny table uh, with a uh, quilted pen and some paper. And they were told to write the uh, confession note of their guilt against the party. Instead, John was able to write a brief note which was addressed uh, on the outside to the China Inland Mission leaders. And here's what the note read. My wife... My baby and myself are today in the hands of communist bandits. Whether we will be released or not, no one knows. May God be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. That last phrase came from Philippians 1.20. His wife, Betty, has been quoted in, uh, I think, the second book written by Elizabeth Elliot, well, she took the notes from the, uh, the journal that this uh, young wife had left behind. And uh, what she prayed prior to leaving for China said this, Lord, I give up all my plans and purposes. I give up all my, de- my own desires and hopes. And I accept thy will for my life. I give myself, I give my life, my all utterly to thee. Do what you will with me. Work out your whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever, unquote. The cost, her and John were beheaded the next morning at the ages of 27 and 28. Their tiny baby, Priscilla, had been wrapped up and was laying in a little pile of straw in the corner and was asleep when they came and took out John and Betty Stam and had them killed. So no one found the baby, thought about the baby. A a, a close friend had followed this crowd to the village, knew where they were. He was a lay pastor. He went in afterwards, found the note, found the baby, buried John and Betty Stam and then made arrangements to have the baby returned to the family in the States. And John and Betty Stam's testimonies have encouraged thousands of believers by their love for Christ, so intense that their lives were so secondary to their love for him. That's really who we're supposed to be. They're not great or greater than anyone else. They just fell in love with Jesus Christ. 
Paul goes on in our text in Colossians to verse 25, and he says this, of which, talking about the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Uh, Paul wants to make sure that this crowd understands, this crowd who's dealing with uh, other people coming in. We're going to talk about this more next week, but, or in two weeks, but uh, dealing with more of those who were uh, self-appointed uh, teachers and philosophers and those who were distorting the gospel in very great ways. And Paul is setting out in this letter to make sure that these folks understand that he was a minister sent to them and appointed to them by God, not self-appointed or under some other authority. He wants to make sure as they under, hear his words and read his words that they understood that this is God speaking through an appointed leader uh, on their behalf. And you and I can read this today and realize again, this is, this is from God through Paul to us today, still relevant for our lives. What was the purpose? To fulfill the word of God. And then he calls it in verse 26, this mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Uh, we often hear and realize again in the Old Testament, there was no reference in the Old Testament to the church. Nobody knew what the church would be. That came along uh, with Christ establishing this church. It was a mystery, and beyond the mystery is the very reason behind the church in the first place, which he tells us as we read on here. Uh, he says uh, it, was, it was hidden in ages past from ages and generations, but now this mystery has been revealed to his saints. That's an important phrase I'll come back to. To them, to his saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is something entirely new that is being declared. And Paul wants uh, these Gentile saints to hear this, of course. And every, any Jewish person who read this, this would be the very same truth for them. But for them, harder to understand or receive because they can't seem to break away from Old Testament beliefs and, and practices. But for a Gentile hearing this for the first time, this had to be a wow factor in this phrase. I, I don't know how much it affects your own heart today, but it's a truth that as Paul's declaring this truth, it's still fresh and relevant for this morning. It's something that I hope you take out of this building and say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. When you go through trouble this week and something's going wrong in your life, a heartache, struggles, circumstances, trials, I hope you can go through those and say, wait a minute, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Because that is a truth that should totally affect your life. I want you to see uh, Romans 15 first because we're talking about Gentiles hearing this great truth. In Romans chapter 15, Paul uh, writes about this specifically that Gentile believers, Gentiles are going to be recipients of the gospel. This is all about you this morning. Listen to what it says. 
Let me go back to verse 8. Now I say that Jesus, has, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is to the old covenant the Jewish law, uh, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, he says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a wonderful thing that's saying that you've been included in this wonderful statement, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just something for Jews from the Old Testament who want to say that they're God's chosen people. But the fact is that God has opened the door for all of us as human beings to have access to this truth today. In your heart, I hope today is that truth. In Romans chapter 8, just back a few pages in Romans 8, we read again just about the status of Christ in us. Verse 9 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have two things said in that text. They're sort of synonymous. We talk about Christ being in us, which is our statement today. And yet we also see the Holy Spirit is in us. And they're one of the same working in the sense of the fact that the spirit is the manifestation in our lives of Christ in us. Interesting little statement was made here that I sort of didn't want to pass up. As Paul was writing this, he wanted to make sure that this was understood by them. It's the end of verse 26. He says, but now this mystery has been revealed to his saints. He, he wants us to understand something here that Again, these, these believers were being infiltrated with a certain uh, teachers that had come on the scene, uh, introducing deeper, mysterious truths. And in, in their teaching, they were basically instructing that they, a person could only receive these truths that they had as a mystery if they would follow their newer, previously unknown regulations and practices. So if you do this, you do this, you do this, uh, you'll have access to this deep, deeper truth and so on. And Paul wanted the saints in Colossae to understand there's no exclusive truth that you're not able to have in your life. So when he says, verse 26, when he writes that and says this to them, it's so special for them to read this, but now has been revealed to his saints. The, the, only, the only mystery that's, being, uh, that's, that's new that they're going to hear about is this Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
there are no other truths that are deeper, mysterious truths that you need to figure out. And, and uh, these other people are just selling a bill of goods that isn't, isn't righteously right. Years ago, centuries ago, actually, the Catholic Church used to never do uh, mass and use English. It's always in Latin. Uh, so the common people would never have access to a Bible. There wasn't a Bible back in those days, in those centuries. And so, uh, and so they would not address these things in their common language. They would address them in Latin as a way of a hierarchy of those who have the truth and those who do not and the separation. But guess what? The Reformation came along and brought uh, all of God's word into translation into English, the common language of, Eastern, uh, of Western Europe. And so because of that, they had access to the truth. And uh, the, here Paul is simply saying to you saints, this is the truth written for you, uh, not for just the elite that are coming in and asking for extra money and other things that they want, especially loyalty and followership. But can any of us really imagine somebody for the first time hearing and understanding the impact of this truth? You're saying that Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, can be in me, can dwell in me, the hope of glory living inside of me. And so in verse 28, what does Paul say? Him we preach, warning, and there's a threefold uh, emphasis here for a reason, uh, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, not partial, not you know, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That we're, uh, the word for man is anthropos. It, it can mean uh, uh, men or a man, but in this case, it also uh, is broadened out to mean human beings. It's a differentiation between uh, creation. Uh, God is making known to every human being this opportunity to know this truth. So Paul is saying that, that we may present every human being perfect in Christ Jesus. That, that's the uh, object of this. Every person has opportunity then to have a relationship with Christ. This morning, we, when we uh, preach the word of God, if we offer an invitation, we're saying any person sitting in this room or listening on TV, any person who, no matter how bad you think you've lived, no matter how sinful you think you are, any human being who hears the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ can receive that truth. And can have their life changed by the, by the one who is the truth, the way, the truth, and life. Jesus Christ. And nothing can keep that from happening if you truly believe in him and call on his name today. And so Paul, in verse 29, wants, wants this crowd to know this is his driving force. This is, this is his life's purpose. He says, to this end... Like, this is my, this is, this is my life. I'm, uh, this is what I'm all about. This is how I want to end my life. I, I labor, striving according to the working which works in me mightily. God's working in my life. I've, re, I've sold myself to him. I'm, I've given my life to him. And God's working in me in his mighty power to accomplish this goal of delivering the gospel. And that's Paul's motive. And that's what he wants to say to you today. And so we preach that gospel 
And we ask God to use it in a mighty way in your life today. The very living truth that we're talking about of Christ in us, who then also is the hope of glory. Is he your hope today? I mean, do you have a hope that gives you a sense of joy and a hope that gives you a sense of glory? It's, it's, it's so beyond now. It's so, uh, I, I'm in his presence, even if I'm standing here with you, I'm also in his presence right now. Same with you. If Christ is in your life today, you're sitting in his presence. You're already his. It's a hope that we, no wonder John and Betty Stam could say, uh, I want Christ to be magnified in my body. If I'm not going to be here, so be it. No wonder that his wife could resign herself to say, Lord, I'm, I'm just giving myself to you. Do what you will with my life. Have you said that to him? This phrase should grip us this morning. This phrase should own us. This phrase should uh, be a cause within us that by through and through we live our lives. And no matter what comes, what may, we are standing in this truth against all circumstances. Chapter two, verse one, then he goes on to say, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. And then he adds this little phrase for those in Laodicea. Uh, we said last time, this is a neighboring city. Uh, you have Colossae, then you have nearby Laodicea, and then another town called Hierapolis, which is just, again, close by. And, 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 and he's including these folks who are going to read this, no matter what, because there's this relationship between these two churches. And so Paul wants them to know, uh, I have this great conflict for you, for those in Laodicea. But listen to what he says, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul would say to you today, I have a great conflict for you in Sugar Creek, Ohio, sitting on this hill in a building. I have a conflict for you. And here's what it is in verse 2. That their hearts, we might say your hearts, may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Some of us who are older saints, uh, I think that we would long for the fact that those of you who are young, maybe new saints in Christ, would have the knowledge and the understandings that we have gained through the years of walking with Christ. Because we know now, in our age and stage and journey with Christ, we know now what you don't have yet, what you haven't experienced yet. Uh, most of us, I hope, as seniors can be able to say, if you only knew the hope of glory that's in your life that will carry you through that dark moment you're going through right now. If you only knew how wonderful and sweet Jesus Christ is in your life to, to uh, be above and beyond any other relationship in our lives and be able to say he belongs to us and we belong to him and to have that great sense of hope in our lives that a person can take their last breath and know I'm going to be with Jesus instantly. That their hearts may be encouraged and being knit together in love there's no reason for us to have arguments and disagreements that separate us and cause friction and hurt 
the cause of Christ especially. That shouldn't be happening. And many saints in many places are going to be held accountable for driving others away from the truth of the gospel because of our poor example of what it means to be a, 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 have a walk with Christ that we say is victorious and joyful. Being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The more you know about Jesus and the Father, the more you spend time in the Word, the greater, the deeper, the broader the understanding of who He is. And He's not hiding Himself. Basically, Paul's saying, I want them to realize they can have access now to know all that there is to know about the Lord. That's what Paul wants you to know this morning. You have every opportunity to know who Jesus is so that nothing would be held back or hidden from you or sold as deeper truth because that's what they were dealing with. So from this hope in Christ, these folks would hopefully experience, and you and I this morning, great encouragement and a love for one another, listen, that would be unexplainable outside of Christ. Show me uh, anyone who has the ability to love even through disagreements, to uh, love in such a way that we see and recognize that the same Christ lives in you that lives in me. He chose you just like he chose me. And he saw your weirdness and your differences. And, and he saw my weaknesses and my issues. And he still loves us the very same. Isn't that amazing? You can't earn his love. It's a yield. Yieldness, that we yield ourselves to his love and then he just works in us. But he doesn't say you have to change everything to be, you know, to be that special of a person in my life. He's saying, let me just love you. Give yourselves to me. And I'll demonstrate myself in your, in your life. The one truth, the one truth this morning that these saints, he's saying, these saints must know that you and I must know this morning, the one truth that we must stand upon and the one truth that we must live in is, and you can say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say it again. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I trust somehow as you go through this week that that phrase will pop into your mind over and over and over and over William Shatner, who went up in that uh, rocket months and months ago, came down and was, uh, got out of the capsule and was instantly interviewed by many different uh, broadcasters. But one person said, what gives you hope in a scary moment? And Shatner was thinking for a bit, and he said, you mean facing death? And the guy sort of said, nodded yes. And Shatner responded, I think nothing. And that is the answer to most people. What gives you hope in a scary moment? Nothing. But this morning, you have access to the hope of having Jesus Christ in your life. And uh, to know that hope in a, such a personal way. 
And I trust that you would make a choice to do that. Believer, I trust that no matter what you're going through, that will be the song of your soul in the next few days as things come into your life and in my life. There's a little chorus that we always sang when I was young. If you're my age, I know you know it. If you're a bit younger, you might. But I want you to join me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Christ lives within me, the hope of glory. Come on. Christ lives within me, the hope of glory. Christ lives within me, the hope of glory. No turning back, no turning back. Lord, as we... uh, come to a close this morning, we are confronted with your truth. It's a wonderful confrontation. It's not to be feared, it's to be received with great joy that you would love us just as we are and offer yourselves in a relationship that means we have you in our lives It's not an external promise. It's an internal promise. It's amazing that you would come into this sinful person and choose to live in my life and clean me from inside out. Thank you for the great hope that you have given us this morning. Those of us who have placed our faith and trust in your truth and in your person. As we said last week, Lord, you are God and nothing less. And only you can do this powerful work in our lives. And we, again, thank you for what you've done and for those who have not experienced you in their lives as of yet. I ask that you would draw them, call them, uh, make yourself known in such a way that a person this morning would say, I want Christ in my life, the hope of glory. Not just to escape an issue in our lives, but to have the, the very hope of my next breath being in heaven with you. Lord, I, I pray for us as believers that we would walk with confidence this week. We would walk with joy in our hearts as we sang earlier. Just the hope that's within us. May you be ultimately magnified in our lives. Do a great work, I pray, in this crowd. And may it be done for the very cause and glory of Jesus Christ.